but today I wanted to discuss a question that is often debated. If you go on the internet at all, and you spend any time on social media, which if you're watching me now, then I know you do, um, you will definitely uh, see from time to time a discussion prop up in Christian circles, really no matter where they're at, which Christian circles we're talking about, that will deal with the topic of good works and what inspires such good works in the Christian's life. And, uh, you know, even setting aside sort of, you know, Christian theology on this, the natural assumption of human beings, uh, we see it with how we parent our kids, we see it with how society is governed, is that, uh, is basically to make rules, is to say, uh, this is why you should, you should do this because the law says so, or you should do this because it's good for you, or uh, you should not do that because it's bad for you. And so the assumption goes that that's what will ultimately produce good works in a person's life. Now, I will say, I will acknowledge up front, that that can produce a kind of good work. And what I mean by that is, uh, even in the uh, non-Christian's life or Christian's life, the threat of punishment or the hope of reward for one's behavior certainly can at least induce us to do uh, some things or to avoid some things. So I am much more likely to go the speed limit on the interstate if I know there is a police officer waiting for me on the other side of the hill uh, because I don't want to get a ticket. It's that simple. So the, so the law can at least, what we would say, what, what we would call, it can curb our behavior. It can sort of, it gives, it can show us what we should and shouldn't do, and it may cause us not to do as much bad or, for that matter, a little more good than we might naturally do. But the question I want to deal with is where do truly good works, as God defines them for the Christian, actually come from in the Christian's life? And what I mean by truly good works is works done in faith. Not works, I'm not talking about works done for the faith, so I'm not talking about like being a missionary or you know, being a preacher or whatever, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about good works that spring from a heart of gratitude out of faith to the Lord. Good works done for your neighbor and for your family and your friends. Where do those come from? There are some within the Christian world that basically give the same answer that I just gave, uh, that I just described, that the law, the law of God, tells us what to do, we ought to do it, and it ought to empower us. Uh, certainly, this has been a debate throughout all of church history. Go back to the Reformation, you will see the Reformers debating about good works and the role of the law in producing good works. Go back to the Augustinian and Pelagian controversy, uh, and you'll find them debating about man's capability to do good works. And indeed, go back to the Apostle Paul and the early Christian church, especially at the Jerusalem Council, and you're going to see the same discussion happening you're gonna see there's a lot of consternation about how to produce good works in a person, in a Christian. So let's deal with that from a passage that Paul writes to one of his uh, disciples, if you will, named Titus, a young pastor, uh, ministering to a congregation, probably even ministering to a number of congregations, was probably something like a modern day bishop, but that's a discussion for another time. 
And I think we'll see here Paul's very clear answer as to what will produce good works in the life of the Christian. We'll start off at chapter 2, verse 11. He says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Well, that's a very explicit sort of declaration of, you know, if you want to just boil it all down, God's grace has appeared, what's it brought? Salvation for everyone. But listen to what he says now. Listen to what he connects to this grace of God that brings salvation. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, you caught it there. The Apostle Paul extols the grace of God because the grace of God provides salvation for everybody, and it's that grace, and I would argue the dwelling on that grace that we have received, that actually produces good works. It's the grace of God that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It's the grace of God that trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's what Paul clearly says in this chapter. And he does it by his grace because he's zealous to purify for himself a people that are zealous for good works. So I'm, I'm often reminded when I think about this, when I think about this concept of grace being what produces truly good works in a person's life, I can't help but think of Jean Valjean in uh, Les Miserables. If you've, see, if you've seen musical or, or one of the many film adaptations, you know there's this pivotal moment in Jean Valjean's life after he has robbed a very kindly old bishop uh, of some, uh, some silverware and some expensive you know, cutlery and things like that, uh, candlesticks, uh, you know, candlestick holders. You know. uh, he's robbed this man, and uh, sure enough, he gets caught, and the police drag him before this bishop and ask if the bishop had this stuff stolen from him. Now, of course, he knows he has. And so Jean Valjean is convinced that he's going to be condemned, but instead the bishop says, yes, that is my things. And then he says, but Jean Valjean, you forgot these things. And he puts them into his bag, and Jean Valjean is sort of stunned with the fact that he's not being punished, but he's actually being given even more. He's being given this abundance of grace by this bishop that he had wronged. And this transforms him. This completely transforms him. And from that moment on, Jean Valjean becomes this heroic, sacrificial character throughout the entire story. But what got it going? What fueled it? Grace. My point is, and I believe Paul's point and the whole Bible's point is, to the degree that you understand how much you've been saved from, that will produce more and more fruit. It's not going to be by me harping on you about what you should and shouldn't do. There's a place for that. But guess what? You and I both know that I can tell you all day long how you should eat. You know that. 
but you're going to find yourself probably avoiding all the ways you should eat. We all know what we should do. We don't need to be harped on about all that all the time. That's probably going to produce a short run at doing something, but it's not going to produce a genuine desire to continually do it. Paul says it's the grace of God that does that in the believer's life. So he tells Titus at the end of the chapter, declare these things and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He continues, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So here Paul is saying, like, I have some things that I want you to remind them of, but, but Paul is so weary of people believing or falling into the trap of believing that these things that they do will be the, the thing that they look to for their salvation, that it's like Paul has to constantly go, okay, yes, I want you to do these things. I want you to tell them to be ready for every good work and to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. Yes, yes, yes. But I better get back to the grace of God because that's really what will fuel this. And so he says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, oh, the blessed but God words throughout the New Testament. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul is, do you see Paul's anchoring this, all these good works, all these things that he desires people to do, he constantly is going back to what God has done. And that's the secret. Good works are produced by knowing what God has done for you in Christ. As Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much, forgive much. Those who have been loved much, love much. To the degree that you recognize and know that all of it has been taken care of, all of your salvation has been won for you by the person and work of Jesus Christ and has been bestowed upon you in this washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which I would argue is baptism, but we'll, we can talk about that some other time, to the degree that you see it all being done for you by Jesus. You just might then, surprisingly and maybe unwittingly, start to do some really loving stuff for your neighbor. You might actually start to produce some good works. That's Paul's whole case here. Now, does that mean that there's no effort in the Christian life? No, of course, there's things that are going to take effort all the time, sure. But that doesn't mean that that effort is fueled by guilt or fear. No, no, no. Hard work, go work, go work really hard. Just know that it has nothing to do with your final standing before God. That's all been won for you by the person and work of Jesus. With that freedom, now 
you know, get on your knees, wash your neighbor's feet, do whatever needs to be done to, you know, help them out. It's Luther's, uh, it's actually, I think, Gustav Wingren that said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. And uh, so now that we know that God doesn't need our good works for salvation, we're free to go ahead and waste those good works. And I, of course, it's not waste, but to lavishly give away good works for the good of our neighbor without fear of condemnation if we don't live up perfectly to the law of God because we know one who has in our stead. So Paul concludes, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to do good works. It's so interesting to me that Paul's, so here's the juxtaposition. He's like, I really want to produce people that are absolutely, totally devoted to good works. So keep preaching the grace of God through Christ Jesus. Okay, Titus, I know it might be counterintuitive. I know you might think if I just tell people what to do all the time that that's going to produce it. No, 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 no. Don't fall into that trap, Titus. You can tell them what to do for the good of their neighbor, but the way you're going to actually get them to want to do that from their heart is by proclaiming Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of all of their sins. All the dang time, Titus. Don't leave that message. So that's where good works come from, folks. They come from and flow from the cross of Jesus Christ and in turn, the spirit working through us in our lives. All right. Good to be with you here this morning, uh, friends. <laughs>